Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. We are living in uncertain times. We've just been through a year that was filled with pandemic, and now we have begun a new year, and we have seen a mob storm our capital threatening the very process of democracy. You have to look around and wonder what in the world is going on. And yet in these times of uncertainty, we can have an overcoming faith. And that's what our series is all about, facing uncertainty without fear. And so we're spending these three weeks trying to give you three words that we hope will be encouragement and instruction to you. Last week, the word was confident. Be confident. Believe in God's sovereignty. Though a mob may be able to storm the Capitol, they cannot storm the throne of heaven. Our God is in control, He has a plan. Our God is sovereign, and our God will not allow anything to happen to his world or his people that he has not already planned to use for his purpose. Not everything that happens is good, but our God works all things together for good so we can be confident. Next week, the word will be courageous. Be courageous. Let faith extinguish your fear. Whatever fear or uncertainty there might be about what's going on in our world or in your life, you can have courage and face whatever comes with courage. So let faith extinguish your fear. We'll look at that next week. But today the word is persuasive. Be persuasive. Maintain your convictions with grace. Some of you are old enough to remember, as I am, a time in our culture where Christianity was central in our culture. It was just so much a part of the American fabric uh, of life. If you lived in the South, you talked about living in the Bible Belt. Uh, And even people who didn't uh, have a personal faith would refer with respect to uh, the Lord. They would call him the man upstairs. And they'd they'd talk with respect and admiration about the Bible. They'd call it the good book. Uh, There was a time when we actually had prayer in public schools. You remember that? Uh, When we would start the day as students saying the Pledge of Allegiance, and then having a prayer. And people would talk about living in a God-fearing nation. But somewhere around the 1960s, that began to change. And more and more, America became secularized rather than the culture of Christianity. And the idea of separation of church and state, which was originally intended to protect the church from the intrusion of the state, 
separation of church and state began to mean more how to exclude uh, an expression of faith from the public square. And America, over the last half century, has moved more and more away from Christianity as an accepted part of the culture, really toward antagonism toward Christianity. And we wonder, could our future hold a degree of persecution or repression of an expression of faith in public life? So as we look at that possibility and we wonder where our culture is going, does it mean that we should be fearful? Does it mean that, that we should look at the uncertainty with fear Again, I remind us that we serve a sovereign God who has a plan, but we have to ask ourselves, what does all this mean for those of us who are Christ followers? And I would say to you something similar to what I said on Christmas Eve when I was lighting the Advent candles in a dark room that the deeper the darkness, the more brightly the light can shine. That no matter how dark our culture becomes, we have greater opportunity to let the light of Christ shine through us. But we have to be intentional about this. We as Christ followers have to be aware of and committed to how our lives impact and influence those who know us but don't know Jesus. And so our challenge today, our big idea, that one brief sentence summary of the entire message is this. Live so that people will listen to the gospel. Live so that people will listen to the gospel. What is our Heavenly Father's attitude and concern about those who are not Christ followers? How does he look upon them? Those people who uh, either are ambivalent or apathetic about the Christian faith, or they're hostile toward our Christian faith, but all of whom are lost and far from Jesus. What does the Heavenly Father think about them? I think we get insight from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. Here's what Jesus taught in a parable. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for the one that is lost. And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. Now, I could preach a whole sermon or maybe a series of sermons from those two verses, but for our thinking today, here's what I want us to draw. People who don't know Christ should matter to us because they matter to God. They matter to God. One of the great tragedies in American Christianity today is that people of biblical convictions 
have increasingly become more resentful and angry toward those who hold opposing views, who don't think like us, who don't believe like us, who don't act like us. And Christians have allowed themselves to consider those people as enemies. They talk about them like they're the enemy. They think about them like they are enemies. And the problem there is once someone in your mind becomes an ideological enemy, you lose all concern and compassion for their soul. You lose all opportunity and passion to impact them for Christ, to win them to the gospel. You just kind of write them off and think they're the other side. They're the people who are wrong, and we're the people who are right. And yet, our Lord called us to represent him to them. He called us to be a conduit of the gospel to their hearts. The Apostle Paul gave us great insight about this in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 20. Look at what he said. He said, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Insert amen there. Oh, that was bad. Let me read that verse again, and let me see if it can elicit a better amen from us. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. That's better. We ought to amen that. That's the gospel. That's what happens when a person comes to know Christ. And verse 18 says, And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. But now look, And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Now look at verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead Come back to God. Do you see what that means? We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his voice to tell them the glorious good news of God's love, the gospel, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that God loves them and wants them to be reconciled to himself by grace through faith in his Son. We are given the privilege and the responsibility of taking that message to those who don't know him. But brothers and sisters, that is harder today than it's ever been. It is harder today than it's ever been in this secular, cynical age. Listen, we must earn the right to be heard by how we live 
and how we treat other people. There's some powerful insights of how to be persuasive, how to maintain our convictions with grace. And I I say to you that is so important because we will never debate, argue, or intimidate anyone into the kingdom of God. That simply doesn't work. We instead must persuade them as we are directed by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we be persuasive? Well, here's some things I believe Scripture teaches us to do. First, you must be willing to relinquish your rights to remove barriers to the gospel. To relinquish your rights to remove barriers from the gospel. Let me explain by telling you a story from the first century church. In the first century church at Corinth, there were basically two groups of people. The first group was a group of people that had been saved out of a life of idolatry. Perhaps their families or somehow they had fallen into uh, idol worship of false gods. And they would go to these temples of idols and they would sacrifice animals on the altars in these idol temples. And uh, there was a practice in that day with all of the animals that were being sacrificed upon the altars to idols that there was meat left over. And guess what they would do with that meat? They would send it to the market. And people could buy that meat at a reduced rate. People could go in there and get a ribeye for the price of hamburger if that meat had been a part of idol worship. And so the people who had been saved out of idol worship thought that was horrendous. They couldn't imagine how could anyone that called themselves a Christian, how could they buy meat that had been somehow involved in idol worship? And they just thought, it's wrong to do that. It's a sin to do that. Then there was this other group who had had nothing to do with idol worship. It wasn't a part of their past. It wasn't a part of their history. Uh, It meant nothing to them one way or the other. And so they felt no pang of conscience whatsoever to go into the market and buy the the meat that had been you know part of idol worship they went idol schmidl i mean i'd rather have a ribeye than a hamburger and so they just thought it was a great bargain so there was this contention both groups thought they were right And so this group that had no problem whatsoever buying that meat at the market, the Apostle Paul spoke to them in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23 and following. He said, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you, Paul said. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is beneficial. And the heart of the passage is verse 24. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. 
But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. And then Paul anticipates their questions in response. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? And then Paul answers their questions in verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul is saying, it's not about your rights. It's not about whether you're right and they're wrong. It's about the glory of God. It's about the gospel. It's about making him known. And so in order to be an effective ambassador of Christ and his gospel, you've got to care more about how your life impacts others than you care about your rights or your opinions. By the way, we all have opinions, don't we? Everybody has opinions. We all believe we're right about what we believe. And as Christians, we even have convictions based upon our interpretation or understanding of Scripture. So how does that impact how we relate to people who don't have those convictions, who are not people of faith in Christ? How how do we relate in a way that is persuasive, in a way that maintains our convictions but with grace. The Apostle Paul was our role model in this. Here's what he did when seeking to share the gospel. He would always seek to find common ground to open doors for the gospel, even with people who are very different. I want to read to you a passage, great words from Paul as he shares how he would relate to people. I want to read it to you from the Living Bible. It's a paraphrase because I think it just really makes these words, at least to me, come alive. Here's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9, 21. He said, when with the heathen, now I want to stop right there. He's saying, when I'm with people who don't know Christ, When I'm with people who don't care about the Christian faith, when I'm with people who don't believe like I believe, when I'm with the the unsaved, here's, here's what he says, I agree with them as much as I can. Except, of course, that I must always do what is right as a Christian. In other words, I'm not going to surrender my convictions. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to violate my standards as a Bible-believing Christian. But short of that, I try to find ways to, to find agreement. I try to find things that we do think alike on, that we can connect on. I go on. He says, and so by agreeing, I can win their confidence and help them too. When I'm with those whose consciences bother them easily, I don't act as though I know it all and don't say they are foolish. The result is that they are willing to let me help them. 
Yes, whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. I do this to get the gospel to them and also for the blessing I myself receive when I see them come to Christ. Here's what Paul was saying. I'm not going to let the many ways in which they are different from me and think differently and act differently, I'm not going to let those things cause me to think of them as an enemy. Instead, I'm going to relate to them as a friend, despite our differences. Paul learned how to treat people so that the gospel could be heard. And I think he learned it from Jesus. He tried to relate to people like Jesus tried to relate to Matthew, the tax collector, who was hated. How Jesus related to the woman at the well who had a history of sin in her life. How Jesus related to the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and was thrown at Jesus' feet by the condemning Pharisees. How Jesus related to Zacchaeus, who had cheated virtually everybody in his hometown. Jesus related to them with dignity and respect, and he won a hearing for the good news, and they all came to faith in Christ. How we treat other people, especially people who are very different than us, will determine whether or not we have an opportunity and avenue to present the gospel with our life and with our words. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a time that it's become very fashionable to be harsh and bitter and critical. And social media has become just uh, nuclear weapons for this. And we've seen some very public leaders give us not so good examples in this area. Listen, nobody has ever been drawn to the gospel by somebody who's bullying or sarcastic or insulting. Instead, they're turned away. What Paul and Jesus taught us is that we must speak to others with respect and grace so that they will listen to the gospel. Paul put it this way in Colossians 4, 5, and 6. He said, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I learned a hard lesson a few weeks ago I was preaching a sermon about uh, telling the truth and needing the truth. And I was was recounting a poll that talked about different groups and individuals that told the truth more than others. And uh, there was a a line in the the poll results that talked about uh, that conservatives uh, lie less than liberals. And I made a joke about... Uh, liberals and I I was trying to be funny because we preachers are always fishing for a laugh out there and 
And, uh, but it was a demeaning comment, to be honest. And it got a laugh, so I thought it was okay. But you know what? There was somebody watching online that immediately commented and said, you know, I'm a liberal, and that offended me. I'm signing off. And when somebody made me aware of that, I, I realized in that moment I had violated the very thing that I'm preaching about today. And privately, I repented of that before the Lord, and today I publicly repent of that before you. We will never win anyone if we don't speak to them with respect and grace, no matter how differently they may think than we do. We are Christ's ambassadors. I want to share a few things that I think we need to remember as Christ ambassador. Just follow these with me as I go through them quickly. Listen, if we are arrogant, we misrepresent God's grace to unbelievers. If we are judgmental, we misrepresent God's forgiveness to unbelievers. If we are legalistic, we misrepresent God's freedom to unbelievers but if we are kind we reveal God's mercy to unbelievers if we're caring we reveal God's love to unbelievers and if we're gracious we reveal God's goodness to unbelievers that's how we are to Let me close with these next steps to challenge you. Number one, care more about your impact for the gospel than the rights you think you deserve or with being right. Listen, there is a direct correlation between the authenticity of our love for Christ and our care for those for whom he died. You can't disconnect those two. Number two, look for ways to connect with those who don't know Christ and overlook the things you disagree about. Find that common ground the Apostle Paul talked about so that you can win through a friendship the opportunity to live and share the gospel. Number three, choose your words carefully knowing they could draw people in or push them away from the gospel. I learned that hard lesson. Words carry a message. Let's make sure as his ambassadors, ours carry the right ones so that we can live so that people will listen to the gospel. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made us who have come to you through faith your ambassadors. And Father, I thank you that the people who are here in the worship center and those who are watching online, they will go places that I am not privileged to go. They are connected with people I will never meet. They are your ambassadors in their own unique mission field. 
Lord, help us to be the right kind of ambassadors. Help us, Lord, not to be those cynical, angry, offensive Christians that push people away from the gospel. Help us to be those who care about those lost sheep, who are committed to live out the love of Christ and the truth of the gospel in ways that are compelling and convincing, not contradictory. Lord, help us to be faithful, effective ambassadors of the good news of God's kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, everybody. Hey, send me pictures of your snowmen, all right?